0: Good morning, loved ones. I'm so happy that we have this time that we can share together. If you're just joining us for the first time, watching or listening to this, uh, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Charles and I am the pastor here at Hickory Rock Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina. And I'm so happy that we have this opportunity to just stop what we're doing and walk through God's word together. And I pray that wherever you are, when you watch or listen to this, I pray that the message today will just help you in your walk with Christ. Would you join me in a word of prayer and then we'll jump into our lesson for today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you and we thank you for Christ and we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that right now you will give us open ears and open hearts. I ask, Lord, that you will just allow your word to resonate within us, that it will pierce us to our very cores and that we will hide our, your word in our hearts so that we can dwell on it and meditate upon it and be nourished by it. And so that we might not sin against you. Father, empower us by your spirit to follow you more humbly, more faithfully, and more obediently. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So loved ones, we've done a rather deep dive into Matthew's gospel for the last several weeks. We've been going through Matthew chapter 18. And I feel that today is a good time as any for us just to come up for air, to uh, to Uh, take a quick look somewhere else in the scriptures before we continue on in some more heavy teachings in Matthew. And for that reason, we're going to be looking today at Psalm 30, Psalm number 30. And we'll talk about that in just a moment, but let me begin to introduce what we're talking about to you by giving you this illustration. And uh, within the last couple of weeks, my father and I had plans to go nearby here to the city of Raleigh. Uh, to go out one evening and go to an event together. We had tickets to go hear a speaker, give a talk. And the plan that he and I came up with was for me to leave my house and to swing by his house on my way to Raleigh and pick him up, and then we'd go downtown, we'd get food, and then we would go to our event. And this was a simple enough plan. And this plan required me to do something that I could probably do in my sleep had to drive to my parents' house and then drive us from there to Raleigh. But here is the wrench in the system. Here is the big catch. None of the routes to these places, either from my house to my parents' house or from there to Raleigh, none of those routes are the same as I remember them being. There has been a wealth, an abundance of road construction. Roads have been changed. They have been widened. Intersections are now gone. Stoplights are gone. Towns are bypassed. The exit I used to take to my old apartment doesn't exist anymore. Restaurants and other places that I remembered being somewhere are no longer there. And on top of all of this, the night that we were to go out, it was raining and it was night. So that means that it was dark. And so all of this stands to say that on more than one occasion, I was disoriented just enough to have the frightening realization that I didn't quite know where I was. And on top of that, since I didn't know where I was, I didn't know quite what I needed to do to get back and to get out of there. So I did the only things I could do. First of all, I did not admit that I didn't know where I was, but more importantly, secondly, I began to look desperately for something familiar, a landmark, something constant that hadn't changed to help me get my bearings. I was looking for something that would help me know and reorient me as to where I was. And I find, loved ones, as I'm sure all of you also have, that there are, there are many times in life when we suddenly and frighteningly realize that we don't know where we are or how we got there. Life often changes so quickly that it feels as though a rug's been pulled out from underneath us. And it leaves us with a sinking feeling in the pit of our stomachs. Very similar to the experience you might have if you're walking upstairs in the dark and you think there's one more step, but then you go to put your foot down and it just keeps going down and down and down. There's a sinking feeling of terror that we experience. And in those moments, we do the only thing we can do we cry out. We look desperately for something that is constant, something that is unchanging, something that is trustworthy, that will help us know where we are, something that will reassure us and help us know that the world truly isn't falling apart. And as, as is always the case, the only thing that can provide us that reassurance. The only thing that can steady us, the only thing that can be a tower of refuge for us is God, because he alone is unchanging. He alone is constant. He alone is sure and true And this is precisely the situation we see depicted in Psalm 30. Here in this psalm, we find David recounting to us what possibly might be two situations in which he was desperately disoriented. But God, in his love and in his mercy, reoriented David, all of which compelled David to praise God for his love and for his mercy. I see that there's gonna be two movements in this psalm. We're gonna see God's rescue remembered and that that demanded praise. And we're gonna see also that God's rebuke is remembered and that compels praise. So if you would, join me now as we look at Psalm 30 and it says this, a psalm, a dedication song for the house of David. I will exalt you, Lord because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from those going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you faithful ones, and praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor, a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor to me, you made me stand like a strong mountain. But when you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called out to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. We see loved ones in this song that David is doing both a little bit of looking back and also looking forward. And he's looking at what might be two instances, two separate instances in his life. One where he was rescued by God and another in which he was rebuked by God. And David is using these moments of reminiscing to remind himself of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And because God is good and faithful, David is compelled to consecrate himself to honoring and praising and glorifying God going forward. And we see all of this play out from the very start. We see it in verse one. David tells us that he will exalt the Lord, that he will lift up praises to him because God has in fact lifted David What David literally says here in the Hebrew is that God has pulled him up, that God has almost reeled him up. If you think about an old fashioned well that has a long rope and a bucket, Think about how you would have to wind or crank that rope back up to pull the bucket from the well. That's very much the image that David is using here. David realizes that God had reeled him in from destruction. Something had happened to David. He was in mortal danger. His life was at stake and his enemies were towering and lording over him. And with no other hope, with no other comfort, with no other source of help, with nowhere else to turn, David cried out to God. And the beautiful thing, or one of the beautiful things among many about God is this. He hears us when we cry out to him. His response might not be what we would hope it is, but God does indeed hear us. And this David knows firsthand. And he recounts to us how God heard his cry, how God healed him, literally how God put him back together. Think of a broken clay vessel and how you would have to piece it back together and form it back together. That is what God has done for David. And in doing so, in doing this, God has spared David from certain death. The word there in verse three, Sheol, it's a very interesting Hebrew word. Sheol refers to the grave, to the place of the dead. We might call it the underworld. And the Apostles' Creed, this is what it's referencing when it says that Jesus descended into hell. It's not talking about hell in the way we think of it as a place of flame and torment. It's talking about it as the abode of the dead the place of no return. And as we often see, Sheol is compared to a pit, to something that swallows and consumes all who come near it, to something that is inescapable. And David realizes now just how close he was to being swallowed by this. He realizes that his life was all but God, was all but God rather, but the one who David cried out to, the one who David trusted, God, he is greater than the grave. He is greater than the pit. And God demonstrated as much by healing David, by reeling him in from the very teeth. Of the pit, and when David remembers this, when he thinks about this rescue, he cannot help but praise God, and he cannot help but to call on others to praise God as well. And in future times, when all hope seems like it is lost, David knows that he can point back to this very moment of salvation and continue, even in the worst of times, to praise God. He can sing to the Lord, and he can call on you and I to do the same thing. We can praise the Lord's holy name. We can trust his reputation for righteousness, for holiness, for salvation. And though, yes, God does periodically have to rebuke us, those moments are fleeting, and his love is unyielding and unfailing. And the salvation that God provides us, loved ones, is sure and secure. God is good. Even when the world might be falling apart, even in the darkest nights, even in those times when weeping is all we can do, regardless of how bad today might have been, there is always the hope of joy in the morning there is hope, there is joy because God is still God. He is still in control and he is still good. And as long as we have God loved ones, we have hope. As we move into the next movement, verses six through 12, we see that David pivots, And he recounts a time when things were going well, when things were good, maybe even a little too good. And David, perhaps because of that, got above his raising. David, perhaps thought that he deserved the goodness and the privilege and the favor that God was showing him. And David began to be proud. And God, out of his goodness and his love, had to gently rebuke David. He had to gently correct him and teach David a lesson. He had to teach David that apart from God, David has nothing. And indeed, David learned just that. David writes, when you hid your face, I was terrified. When God stepped back even just for a moment and allowed David to see just truly how little he, David, had control over, David very desperately begins to see how much he needs God. And again, he cries out to God. He pleads his case to God. In a business sense, we might say that David gives his elevator pitch to God in a relational kind of way, we might say that David is laying out the reasons why God should take him back. And the questions that we see David ask God in verses 9 and 10, these questions make us wonder if this moment of rebuke happens to coincide with the moment of rescue we just read of in verses one through three. It could very well be that the crying out we read of in verse two is here fleshed out for us in verses nine and ten. It could be that as David realized that his life was in mortal danger, that Sheol was quickly surrounding him, that he cried out and he asked God what good will come from my death? Will the dust praise you if I'm not here? Help me, God. But as we already know, God did help David. He rescued him from the pit, but he did much more than that. God completely reversed David's circumstances. He took David from a place of sorrow, from a place of lament, and he took him to a place of joy and dancing. God removed David's sullied rent robes of of sackcloth, and he robed him with gladness. God so mightily changed what David was experiencing that David was compelled. He was forced. He could not help but Sing praises to God both now and forevermore. And loved ones, this psalm in itself is a testimony to David's eternal praise. The superscript, the writing above the psalm in this psalm, if you're looking at your Bibles, it tells us that David wrote this psalm for the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. But loved ones, David did not live to see that day. He did not live to see the temple be built. In fact, David was told that he would not live to see the temple be built. Just like Moses longed to lead the Israelites into the promised land, David longed to build God's temple. But also, just like Moses was unable to do that thing, David learned that he would not be able to do this. David was told that his son would build God's temple. And you and I both know that the only way for David's son to become king would be for King David to die. But even in that, even in that heartbreak of not being able to do this thing that he so greatly desired and longed to do, even in that David knew that God was still good and that God would be faithful and that God was worthy of praise both now and forevermore. And so God, excuse me, David put pen to paper and composed this psalm so that even from the grave, David could continue praising God forever. That even from the grave, David would not and could not be silent. And loved ones, this psalm happens to be one of my favorites, and I find it to be particularly comforting and powerful. And it's comforting because there are certainly times in our lives when it feels like our lives are dangling out of control. And maybe it's not Sheol or death that is closing in around us, but loved ones, there are times when it feels like this world has defeated us, when it feels as though hope is lost, when it feels as though the darkness and the evil that we're up against is more than we can bear. Maybe some of us are feeling that way today. There are also times, in addition to this, when at the very least, it feels as though God is hiding his face from us. Things had been going so smoothly. We thought we knew where we were and then God hid his face and now we're scrambling to find him. And again, maybe some of us are feeling like this today. But whatever may be the case, whatever we might be going through today david's words stand to remind us that god is still there that he is still listening and that he is still in control and because of that because god is still there and still listening we can cry out to him we can call on him we can trust him for he will listen. Even right now, each of us can look back over so many instances in our lives, so many other trials and sorrows through which God has already proved his faithfulness to us. And those circumstances remind us that even now, amid the craziness and the heartache of whatever we might be currently facing, we can still trust God. And we can continue to praise him even through this. But loved ones, we can praise him also for so much more. For God has so greatly demonstrated his love for us. He has demonstrated the depth of his love for us. Not through the temporary reprieves or the rebukes that he must give us here in this world. No, God has showed us the unyielding, unending depth of his love by sending his son, Jesus, to provide for us an eternal salvation. Jesus defeated Sheol. Jesus defeated the grave. He took away its teeth and its terror forever. And in turn, Jesus has robed us with joy and with righteousness. And Jesus defeated the grave by bravely going into it, by letting it swallow him, by enduring the horror of God actually hiding himself from him. And loved ones, there was indeed a night in which all of creation spent the night weeping and in sorrow. But on that third morning, there was joy and there was hope. For Jesus, who had bravely gone into the place of no return, he came boldly and victoriously out of it. And that same Jesus, loved ones, who died for each and every one of us, who died to save each of our souls, he has promised never to hide his face. From us, In fact, he has promised to be with us, to be with us each and every day. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. And loved ones, he is with us in all things. He is with us in our sorrow. He knows the tears we cry. And he cries those tears with us. Jesus knows the pain of a broken heart. And he can fix it. Jesus knows what fear feels like and he can calm it. Whatever we might be feeling this day or any day, Christ knows how it feels and he can soothe it. And he will not leave us in our sorrow. He will not leave us weeping. He will turn our lament into joy. And dancing. And because of his love, because of his goodness, because of his faithfulness, loved ones, Christ is worthy of our praise, both now and forevermore. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for Christ. And we thank you for the unimaginable, uncomprehensible unending, unyielding, unrelenting love that you have for us. Father, thank you for how you so radically reversed our circumstances and how you can pull joy and dancing and gladness out of sorrow and brokenness. Father, you are good. Help us to trust you more.